This is CliffCentral.com. Richard, are we on track with the financial pack for my presentation to the board next week? Well, hopefully. The team's very short-staffed, and it's taking such a long time to find a suitable financial manager for the division. We're way behind on all our forecasts and reporting. Why don't you speak to the finance team? They're a consultancy that can help you with an experienced interim financial manager. You can have somebody to help you almost immediately. They'll hit the ground running with no long-term contracts and no upfront placement fees. Go to thefinanceteam.co.za. Welcome to the business section of our business masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of the finance team, your part-time financial executive solution. Joining me in studio as part of our panel is Leandi Streeter, a business coach and guide from Racecorp, staying on from the previous section as well. Cynthia, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Our guest today is Mark Turpin. Mark is an organizational development consultant, coach, and lecturer with over 30 years of management experience around the world. He's worked with a wide range of companies and NGOs in the public and private sector space, including, amongst others, Barclays, KLM, Air France, Vodacom, and Oxfam. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Rich. So, Mark, the question, ethical leadership. I'm sure you've run into this question time and time again. And what is actually the world of ethical leadership like out there? I mean, you've obviously got many, many years of experience and exposure. How are you seeing that, let me call it that landscape? Give us a picture of what you're seeing as, a, as an independent consultant out there. Thank you. Yes, it's a really important question. And it's interesting how we always put ethics and leadership together in the same phrase mm-hmm. um, because they are very much intertwined and need to be. Uh, when I think about how we nurture and grow leaders and particularly the question of how we teach leadership in business schools and in society, we, we very much think of leadership as a neutral concept. Yeah. And we think leadership is simply associated with rising to a certain position and having influence over people. Yeah. Uh, and we don't really go into much more detail than that. Mm-hmm. My feeling very much is that um, ethical leadership and leadership generally should be about making choices. And it's not simply a neutral uh, concept in that sense, that there are choices that leadership or leaders really have to make. And I distinguish between leaders who like to lead um, by inspiring or commanding a kind of blind obedience or loyalty amongst the people who follow them, Mm. Uh, a a kind of obedience and loyalty that is often underpinned by fear Mm. on the one hand. And on the other hand, I like to encourage people to think about leadership that builds commitment Mm. and is based on a kind of trusting relationship that uh, the leader has in the people who follow and the followers have in the leader as well. Mm. And this choice, I think, that people have to make in terms of what kind of leader they aspire to be uh, was made very stark for me recently when I was uh, watching uh, Donald Trump uh, (laughs) talking about his, uh, before he fired uh, Comey as the attorney general, I think it was, he said, I I needed, and I asked him, or Comey actually said, uh, that the president had asked him for his loyalty. And I think underpinning that idea of loyalty was what I'm talking about in terms of a kind of blind obedience Mm. based on fear, fear both ways, Mm. fear on the part of the president that um, Comey might not do something that the president didn't approve of. And he was wanting fear also on Comey's part 
uh, and the investment then in a kind of blind obedience so yes. that you'll be looked after mm. by the president. Mm-hmm. And that you're, takes you're, no you're, account you're, you're of you're in favour. <laughs> that takes no account of any adherence to principle or constitution or to any ethical guidelines, because the blind, obedient, loyal follower um, is supposed to simply obey and do what they are told. Mm. Whereas the commitment relationship, based on a kind of more trusting relationship, is one in which one is also allowed to confront, if necessary, in an assertive way. The leader, when you feel that you're being asked to do something that may not be necessarily in line with what you're being told to do, mm. or in line with any ethical standard. So, yeah, that brings me to that wonderful statement or, or question line. And and I mean, I, I've heard this asked of people in job interviews. I've heard people talk about this, but I, I think this is just so valid in in many of the things that we we see. What do you do when unethical is behavior is actually an instruction from your boss? Yes, and that happens. <laughs> and I sometimes end up coaching people who are who are living in that kind of fear that they uh, are just being told to do things that they don't they they know are not right, or they've or may be on the edge of what is right and what is wrong, or something that they may not be quite sure about, mm. and it may be the first time they go along with what they're being invited to do but then the problem the problems escalate or they're being asked to do more and more things where they know they're being pushed across a line in a sense and then it becomes more difficult so i think um if you are living in fear uh, of of a situation of a leader who's giving you instructions like that because you you fear losing your job you fear that other people have been fired for not obeying instructions then many people go with it. They will do what they are told because they need the job. And the question for them then is to what extent can they live with themselves if they do that? Because you've only got one set of ethics and you can have many jobs, but you've only got one ethical uh, sense. So I think the, the most critical thing is for people to firstly find the courage to actually say, this doesn't work for me. Mm. And I'm not actually prepared to carry out that particular instruction. And it needs courage and self-confidence and trust that actually it's going to work out better for you in the long run. So having support from a coach or someone who can help guide you through that kind of process is very useful. Mm. Um, but you have to, you need the courage to be able to <laughs> confront. Very often, if you are doing a good job in the organization and you are adding value, it may just shift the relationship and it may mean that you survive hmm. and are more left alone. Hmm. But that doesn't take away the fear when you are faced with the instruction. Uh, you know, I, I hear what you're saying and I've certainly encountered it as well. And and part of the challenge that, that the person now who's being forced to comply with, with what is not ethical, part of the challenge that they need to face is that – if this issue, can I rather say, when the issue finally surfaces, who's going to carry the can? Not the superior. You haven't got that instruction in writing. There's not going to be an audit trail. So I think that ultimate accountability could still land at your door. So an important issue for me is to say, well, what can you do to prevent it? And and unfortunately, there's not a great deal. As I say, you know, trying to get an audit trail is a joke, not going to happen. 
So, so you mean saying to your boss, put it in writing is yeah. not the right way to handle this one? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you can try it, but I'm just guessing it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, but one of the, the approaches, uh, that a little counterintuitive perhaps, that is, I believe, one of the most effective ways is that to the extent that if I'm the employee, to the extent that I have visibly and really positioned myself as a champion of ethics, to the extent that I'm really widely known to always stand up for what's right, it is, I would argue, one of the most effective deterrents of someone saying, no, 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 don't go and approach her, she won't do it. And mm. and it just it's not a foolproof mechanism, but but as I say, to the extent that you are genuinely well associated with ethics, it it is somewhat of a deterrent. So so what you're saying is you should be wearing your ethical badge on the outside of your jacket as opposed to inside and flashing it occasionally. Absolutely. And 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 I think that's that's a very true true statement. I think we often, um, let me call it, haul out the ethical card. Yes. At times, rather than wear it on our brow and say, look, you know, this is how I behave. And, and I think the, the risk often is, you know, if you say I'm an ethical person, now you open yourself up to people judging you on that statement all the time. So now you've got to be really careful how you act all the time. Yes. Because, you know, people are watching, you know, yes. versus the, well, I'll pull out the ethics card when it suits me, you know, like, oh, remember. I'm an ethical person, so I don't do these type of things. Um, yes, I think that's very important, Richard. Yeah. And I think that consistency, that consistency, and also uh, to not be someone who plays the victim in the workplace. Hmm. The, the victim is someone who will always have somebody else who gives tells them what to do. Um, and hopes to be saved one day. Mm. The difficulty, obviously, is that if you are given one instruction and you obey it, um, that may be crossing the line, it doesn't change the pattern. Mm. The challenge is to change the pattern of behavior, not to be someone who plays the victim in the workplace, but to be someone who takes responsibility for their work, mm. uh, works in that kind of ethical way, is brave, because sometimes you have to be brave to s stay mm. out of the culture. Mm. Um, mm. I think there's another issue as well, which is in t thinking about where uh, the the challenges arise increasingly in terms of thinking about ethics in the workplace and in our companies. And that is that we we are in a situation increasingly in the corporate world, and it's not just in South Africa, obviously, where the demand for short-term profitability from particularly shareholders or the perceived demand from shareholders puts a huge amount of pressure onto CEOs and businesses. Mm. And they think that their role is simply to maximize very short-term shareholder profitability, uh, which creates um, huge pressures on businesses. And then you get companies like the Bell Pottingers of the world mm. who see a, a nice lucrative contract and this will keep shareholders happy for a while, and they step into it without another thought, possibly, yes. as mm. to what the ethical implications could be down the road. Mm. Because they are under pressure mm. and under, in some ways, very unreasonable pressure to deliver mm. those short-term uh, returns. But, but Mark, I, I would I, I agree with you absolutely that that is true. Um, what I would argue that the, the ethical leaders are not doing nearly as loudly as they should is speaking to and building an understanding of the ethical value within the company. 
that where we can build a wonderfully ethical culture, does that have a value? Well, of course it does. But do we speak to it? We speak about financial capital. Do we speak about ethical capital? So I think, again, the the CEOs, the MDs can be, I don't say they will necessarily significantly lessen those demand for short-term profits, but they can be speaking to it or saying, I appreciate these demands, but I want to speak to our choice in terms of preserving our ethical capital in this instance. And that should also be a discussion with the shareholders. Mm-hmm. Because the the difficulty we have is that the, the shareholders, if they don't at the moment, if they don't see the short term financial returns, they don't have any particular responsibility or concern necessarily for your business because they'll go somewhere else. But but interestingly, so, you want to see an interesting shareholder meeting, an AGM, when there's ethical issues on the table. Yeah. Um. I mean, I just think back to things like PPC. And things like Ketso Gordon saying, you yes. know, I disagree with, you know, other views around the table so much so that I'm prepared to walk away. Yes. Now, I mean, that was a, that was a, a difference of opinions on various things, but the point should be the same. Is, is that CEO prepared to say, listen, you know, shareholders and, and blocks of shareholders, remember, you know, pension yes. funds, PRC, et cetera. This is how we do things here. And if you don't like that, well, then sorry, I'm not your CEO. Yes, you know, and that's that's a quite a you know that, that that's like taking the ultimate of you know your being told by your boss to do something unethical. You know, if mm. it's one thing if the you know if your boss tells you, what happens if the board effectively is telling you, or your shareholder block is telling you to do something, or act? Maybe they're not giving you a direct instruction of you know do something unethical, but they basically say to you, look, it's an ethics isn't a. You know, isn't on the agenda, and you say ethics is on the agenda, how are you handling that as a CEO? I mean, we can take this conversation all the way to that level to say, listen, I as a CEO believe that this is critical for our business, and the shareholder block says, nah. Well, then, you know, you have to say to yourself as a CEO, well, well, it takes thanks, courage. Thanks, mm-hmm. but I'm in on these conditions, and I'm out under those conditions. But, but Richard, sure. I, I, can, I, can I just pass a quick mischievous comment? Uh, always. <laughs> what, what happens when the major shareholder is mm. the government? Mm. I mean, we won't pursue this, but I'm just saying. And, and if the instruction, suggestion, hint, whatever is coming from well, there. <laughs> well, well, well uh, let, let's – sorry. Now you've gone there, so let's go there. <laughs> I mean, you, I've seen in the press – the conversations about the SAA chair, okay, yes. and the questions and the statements that she's made about her tenure and all the rest, very, very, very concerning. But more concerning is comments about, well, you know, she was instrumental in pushing back on where the SA technical tenders were going, for example, with comments of it mustn't go here, it must go to there. Uh. And, and I'm going, why is the chairman of the board making phone calls to even have these conversations. This is not a chairman of the board conversation. No. This is not even a board conversation. This is a procurement strategy or a procurement process. Why are you even involved? The involvement raises red flags, flags of huge note. Of huge note. I think it's sometimes very easy, um, though, for us to think in terms of the ethical issues being those, uh, you know, we really have to throw stones at government and the, the oh, parastatals and so on. I think it's and obviously it's everywhere. <laughs> And if we think about many of our um, traditional <laughs> industries in this country and uh, thinking of the mining sector, particularly mm. at the moment, it's, it's very easy to 
um, see ethical issues as somewhat distant or a little bit remote and to have some kind of plausible deniability so to say we're not really involved and whether something in the DRC is happening with child labor uh, it's not you know there's something has been signed to say that they don't use a lot of child labor so we're kind of okay and we're covered um, mm. so um, the ethical questions creep up and um, for a long time people can kind of live with some ambiguities and that's where it starts, and that's where we have to really start raising questions. So, Mark, that's for me very important from the perspective of for a long time we have been living with these ambiguities. But where we are in the world right now, we don't have that luxury anymore. Um, considering where we are politically, <clears throat> socioeconomically, uh, and just purely pure economics, and it's not just in South Africa, it's globally. Things are changing, it's shifting, it's dynamic. There's a lot of pressure everywhere. Um, how important is personal values for a CEO? And if you had to look at a panel of CEOs stepping up to take a really big job, what, do you, what would you be looking at in that person when it comes to their value set and whether or not they would be able to uphold ethics? Well, I think it's absolutely critical. Or if be ethical. Yes, I think the, the ethical question is absolutely critical. And one of the things that I think the leadership programs do – recognize in the business schools is that uh, you cannot be uh, a copied leader. So we're not all going to be Nelson Mandela or uh, Oliver Tambo or some of the great leaders that we have in this country. You can only be yourself as a leader and you bring your own personality and your own ethical framework to your leadership style. Mm. And I can live with that. Mm. Um, so I think and the authentic leader is someone who has their own sense of uh, values that they've inherited and developed over their lifetime and their own history, which will also inform their development as a leader because it's going through some of these hard times that really forms people as leaders. Um, so I, I say to people, be yourself as a leader and bring what you wish to bring. And behind that, I also say, and you will have to make choices about what kind of leadership you want to be, because you can be a leader who lives through fear and commands fear and blind mm -hmm. obedience if you choose to be so. And you may be very successful for a while, although someone at some stage is going to have it out for you, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, Leandi, I think the, the question of values is imperative, mm -hmm. and we're sometimes not linking those values quite as directly right. as we should to ethics. And, and for me, a couple of the non-negotiations, a couple, I've actually got four, <laughs> a double couple, um, is, is that in terms of honesty, fairness, respect, and responsibility, if those were the only four we could choose, and, and that was present, I think you've got a foundation that, mm. that indicates that the behavior is very likely and to the courage be, to live them exactly. Yeah. exactly you went through those very quickly so oh. let's repeat those again <laughs> honesty hmm? fairness respect mm -hmm. and responsibility yeah okay i think those are four four words that's ring mm. and, and and interestingly you know if you think of value statements and and values that companies put up you know we often talk about trust respect accountability you know things like this so you know the the ethics theme is quite easy to connect with yes. with the rest of your value statement as an organisation. This is not a stretch um, until you are given an instruction. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Now, now, I just want to for a moment just flip this ninety degrees and have a quick conversation about something that 
I'm very aware of, having some personal exposure to this. Um, you have countries in the world that have, have taken a very hard line on ethical issues. And I'm thinking here particularly interesting enough, given your earlier comments, the United States. Yes. So they have the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, okay, which makes it um, a criminal offense for a director of a company to be engaged or have their environment engaged in foreign corrupt practices. And, you know, I, I have a client who, who is American-based, and so as a consequence of that, we have American uh, – or the directors have American residency. And so I always joke with the staff, but I, I mean it when I say it. I say to them, you know, think about the fact that every time person X or Y goes back to the States, if you've done anything here in Africa and in the global – you know, in the wider African continent, not just South Africa but all over Africa, if you've done anything that has that is inappropriate, that has been reported, because people know that we're an Ameri- we have an American holding company, and it's been reported to the authorities, you can look forward to putting X and Y in jail as they clear, try and clear customs at JFK. Yes. And staff look at me in horror, and I go, "Yeah, it's it's the orange jumpsuit stuff we're talking here, people." And 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 they they kind of uh, you can see the wheels turning of, you know suddenly ethics is now real. Mm. You know the the ethical behaviour of I bribed the official to get the license or mm. the tax clearance or the whatever I did suddenly now is like whoa hold on a second and 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 you know I look at this and I go well you know incentive or stick you know carrot stick. Type of thing. I mean, I, I'm definitely, you know, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act is definitely in the stick category for me. But it, it is interesting to observe staff's reactions when I do this, particularly given that they know these directors quite well and they, they see these people quite regularly. Uh, you know, and I kind of go, would you be okay with Mr. X or Mrs. Y having some really harsh conversations at customs uh, or at, at border control? And they're on a list that says that door over there is your door, not the glass exit. And, and you know, people say to me, like, oh, no, I wouldn't like that to happen to him or her. And, you know, it, it suddenly makes the ethical dilemma, you know, yeah, real, yeah. real close. And, yes. and, and, and what I found quite interesting is we have had scenarios where leadership locally has pulled the, you know, I'll tell somebody to do something less than, less than correct. And then there's this little feedback loop that comes out to the global, let's call it the global leadership team outside of the the country specific, that says, so-and-so asked me to do X, and I know that that's going to be orange jumpsuit stuff for person X, Y, or Z, or whatever they are, and so I'm not doing this, but I need you to know. It's like the little bit of a whistleblowing conversations. Yes. Because they're going... It doesn't maybe matter to them in country, but I know it's going to affect, you know, global leadership. It's very important. And, and I, I think to myself, well, there's an interesting way of, 
of many, you know. So in that case, because of the layers of the organization, there is a almost a check and balance in place. But it's yeah. still, still to some extent based on a tick box uh, approach. Hmm. So people will tick the box, have you ever been involved in certain activities or whatever, and they'll tick no. Hmm. Um, but it is important to have these. Well, um, well, for me, for me, it becomes yeah. real when it's real time reporting, which, yes. ha- which happens. I mean, embassies get informed that this and this and this behavior is happening in XYZ country. Yes. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, especially when, uh, my experience is, especially when you've hacked off a local competitor, <laughs> well, <laughs> then, they, then, they, then they're real quick to talk to your holding company's country of origin for some of reason. Course, of course, we are very much in a global world mm-hmm. these days and whether those same standards apply to China, all the BRICS countries, um, mm. is another question. And yeah. those, uh, economies are significant now in terms of driving economic development in Africa, for example. And <laughs> um, so I, I think one should encourage those kind mm. of standards mm. and the more they can be applied globally, the better, obviously. But it's a, it's a challenging position if you're negotiating deals with Chinese in uh, different countries in Africa to think about, well, where do the ethical standards apply here? How do mm. they come in? And mm. to what extent do, uh, the people I'm contracting with mm. care about this, these kind of ethical standards is another question. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, my experience, particularly um, in the in the in the broader context of procurement and all this. And I mean, let's not even move into sure. Africa. It happens, yeah, in our, uh, uh, you know, north of us. Uh, it's yeah, in South Africa, part yes. of Africa. I'm amazed at how people think South Africa is not part of Africa. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> it always amazes me. Um, in the greater context of procurement and, and, and solutioning, I mean, the reality is every country on this continent is faced with this, uh, this challenge. And by the way, please note that many of the real things that we've seen out in the press have been happening with country, with companies that come from the developed first world. Yes, of course. You know, SAP. Yes. Uh, you know, McKinsey's. Um, the KPMG, these are not companies that were born on the back end of a, you know, bulldozer here in Joburg. Yes. I mean, these are global concerns. Mm. You know, this is not something that's unique to us. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the first world has gone through its own fair share of issues. I mean, if I look at, go back in the history, I mean, uh, I remember vividly some of the issues that the Germans have experienced over the years in the procurement space. Um, you know, they, they, they've not been immune to this and many other countries. So yeah, I think, you know, the ethical leadership question is, is, is a global one. It's not just our, our challenge, sure. but it's something that we have our own unique elements. Of the there challenge there is evidence that ethical investments mm. do produce strong returns yes. and around the world. And it's something that I think we need to think about very much when we're exploring the culture of, of our, well, our investment culture and our corporate culture is that ethical investments do well. And there have been uh, investment funds that take an ethical approach, mm. uh, which do deliver strong returns. So I think the, there are signs of hope and there are, there are opportunities for people who care about these things to actually explore what would be a, a useful ethical approach if we are going to invest resources into a particular sector. And Mark, what I, what I think leads on from that very nicely is that I think one of the key roles that ethical leaders should be playing within their organizations, and that includes their external stakeholders, is to be really making a very clear business case for ethics. Mm. They, they shouldn't and just assume this is the right thing to do. Yeah, and I think we're, you know, in closing, I think we, we always talk about this is 
Does ethics matter? Absolutely. Is there value to ethics? Yes, there is. Is there value in, in a hashtag keeping or keep ethics alive? Absolutely. And you only have to look at the cost of not being in a great, in a, in a good space and you can see what the benefits are. Well, Mark, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Mark Turpin, thank you very much. To Cynthia Skuman, thank you very much. The Ethics Monitor, thank you very much. Henry, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. It's been great to talk about ethics as always on a monthly basis. Remember that hashtag, hashtag keep ethics alive. Next up, the Youth Leadership Platform. This is CliffCentral.com.